A gospel advancing life is a life lived confident in God finishing what he starts. A famous portrait of President Franklin Delano Roosevelt is on display at what became his second home while he was in office, the Little White House in Warm Springs, Georgia. On July 12, 1945, during the second day of that sitting for that portrait, President Roosevelt became, he was already ill, but he had a medical crisis. He collapsed, and three hours later, he died. That painting was never completed. It was interrupted by death. And the painting now is entitled The Unfinished Portrait of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, painted by Elizabeth Shumatoff. And it really is a testament to so many things in our world today and in our lives that are unfinished. Projects started, projects never completed. And there are various reasons why projects are started and projects are never completed. Death. We will all depart this life with a whole list of unfinished tasks. There's only one human being, one man that has ever lived that when he died had completed everything. He's the one that said it is finished, Jesus. But for us, unfinished task. Sometimes it's a lack of money. That's usually what happens with construction projects that are unfinished. They run out of money. Could be a lack of interest or a loss of will. There is an unfinished task in my life that still goads me. It's an unfinished task that dates back to my teen years. Many of you know that I was in scouting and I don't say this boastfully, I'm just simply saying this as, as just to illustrate. Uh, I worked hard to complete the highest award in scouting, the rank of Eagle Scout. And after I was presented with that award, I thought, well, what else should I do? So of all things, I decided to work on the award that scouting offered at that time, God and Country. Now, can you imagine a would-be preacher starting the God and Country Award and never finishing it. Not a resume builder for the pastorate, by the way. I'm glad the search committee didn't look at that when you all hired me. But isn't it true that we start and complete many things? But some things we start, we never complete. The story of our lives is a mixed bag. But thankfully, that is not how God does things. What God starts, he always finishes. And this is really good news for us who are in need of salvation. The doctrine, the perseverance of the saints comes from this truth about God that what he starts, he always finishes. He perseveres us. It's the P in the tulip, which is the fifth point of the five points of Calvinism. Commonly, this doctrine 
is known as once saved, always saved. Well, how can we say that? We can say that because of this truth about God. Why God starts, he finishes. And I am glad for it. And Paul, in verses 3 through 8 of Philippians chapter 1, gives thanks for the Philippians primarily because what God starts, God finishes. And then in verses 9 through 11, Paul is able to petition God for future growth of the Philippians based primarily on the reason what God starts, God finishes. And so today we'll be looking at verses 3 through 8 of Philippians chapter 1. I'll read that entire section, verses 3 through 11, because it really is one unit. But we want to look today at Paul giving thanks for the Philippians because of this wonderful truth about God's persevering uh, work for us. And so you'll see on your sermon outline, I think it's on page 5, that there are really two points. The first point is what we'll cover uh, today. And you can really subdivide that first point in, into three subpoints. I'm always getting a three-point sermon out of this stuff. And the first point is Paul giving thanks for the, for the past with regards to the Philippians, Paul giving thanks for the present, and then the reason Paul gives thanks, God's persevering work. So we'll look primarily at those three things today. Let me pray for us. God, our Father, as we look at this passage of Scripture and as we anticipate in a couple of weeks coming back to Philippians 1, as we look at at this petition for future spiritual growth, would I pray that you would remind us of this truth that we find in verse 6, that what you begin, you finish. And what a blessing that is to us. What a reason for us to give thanks and to be confident in you. And we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, God's word for God's people. So if you'd please turn to Philippians chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. We'll read through verse 11. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for, all, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The word of the Lord is eternal and stands firm in the heavens. 
it revives the soul and may it revive our soul even today. So we want to begin by looking at this, this first aspect of this truth, this first reason the Apostle Paul gives thanks for the Philippians, and it is God's persevering work in the past. So a gospel-advancing life, which, by the way, is the theme of this sermon series, you may remember from last Sunday, as we began this series, looking at verses 1 and 2, that, that we concluded that really was the theme, not only of last week's sermon, but the theme of the entire letter. And the first principle in living a gospel-advancing life is this, this truth about God, that what he begins, he brings to completion. And firstly, what he begins, he brings to completion as we look at his persevering work in the past. So Paul prays a prayer of thanksgiving that, that recounts the, the beginning of God's work there in the lives of the saints in Christ at Philippi, and that work continuing into the present. So look at verses 3 and 4. Paul remembers their past relationship, and this remembrance brings great joy to the apostle Paul. In fact, his joy is so great that he says this, that I always remember you in every prayer. He prayed for them. He offered thanks to God for them. The, the Philippians were a source of profound joy for the Apostle Paul. And the particular reason for this joy is given in verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, the word partnership is really interesting because the Greek word behind it is koinonia. And whenever I mention that very familiar Greek word to most Christians, what does it mean? Koinonia, fellowship, participation fellowship, to share in something, fellowship. And so this partnership in the gospel is Paul and, and the saints in Christ in, at Philippi sharing together, partnering together, deep fellowship around the work of the gospel. From the very beginning of their relationship till the present, says the Apostle Paul. I give thanks. You give me joy because of this partnership, this, this fellowship we have in the gospel. Koinonia took place last night in our fellowship hall with the Mill and Magic Show. What a great time. A wonderful time of fellowship. Building up the community here at Covenant. So thanks to all who had a part to play in making that happen. I only had one moment of pause. One instance of concern when teaching elder and professional magician Scott asked my wife Renee to come up so he could read her mind.
what a wonderful opportunity for us to experience sharing in koinonia, partnership, fellowship. Yes, it was fellowship in the gospel, coming together as a church community. The work of the gospel is understood in two ways, I believe. First, the Philippians supported the Apostle Paul as an apostle. They contributed financially to him. We'll read about that in chapter 4. In fact, Paul said to the Colossians, hey, listen, give like the Philippians. So they were givers. And that was part of this, this partnership in the gospel. No doubt they prayed for Paul, part of the partnership in the gospel. And then we have an annual missions conference coming up. And every year during the missions conference, what do we do? We encourage one another. And we are encouraged by our speaker and by the missionaries to what? Grow in being partners in the gospel. Grow in being in fellowship, coming together, sharing together the work of the gospel in the world. And so we give to support, to partner in fellowship with our missionaries. Some of our missionaries are right here today with us in worship. Some are ministering in different parts of the world. But we partner together in prayer and financially giving so that we can support what God has called them to do in the particular field to which he has called them. But I think also to be a partner in the gospel, I think Paul is also referring to the Philippians themselves, actually. They're in Philippi furthering the cause of Christ by evangelizing, by coming alongside people outside the church who are in need, by living and speaking the gospel to their community. So Paul gave thanks for the joy the Philippians are to him as they are in this wonderful fellowship, partnership, a sharing together in the work of the gospel. And we're partners in the work of the gospel here as we build fellowship, as we support one another, as we support our missionaries, as we come together to further the cause of Christ. And so a gospel-advancing life is characterized by confidence in God's persevering work in what he has done in the past, but also what he is doing presently in the day. We find in verses 7 and 8, Paul shifting to more of the present. He said, it is right, it is proper for us to be, for me to be joyful over you, Philippians. And it is proper and right for us to be joyful over those individuals with whom we have a deep fellowship. So we come together each Sunday in worship and, and what I see are brothers and sisters in Christ greeting one another, shaking hands, hugging, catching up, enjoying being together because we are linked. We are brought into this community, this deep fellowship. We are a family. We come together and that's a joyful thing. In verse 7, Paul gives the reasons why it's right to feel joy over this fellowship. Because I hold you in my heart, for you are partakers with me 
of grace. I hold you in my heart. Paul had a deep, deep affection for the saints in Christ at Philippi. And we have a deep, deep affection for one another here at Covenant, the fellowship to which God has called us. You are all partakers with me of grace, Paul says, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Here Paul gives the reason why he has such deep affection for the Philippians. They are partners with him in grace. So what does it mean to be partakers of grace? I mean, grace permeates everything, doesn't it? We made the observation last week that for the Apostle Paul, everything becomes the gospel. I think we can say that for us, everything in so many ways is rooted and grounded in grace. It is central to the believer's life. Grace is central to our fellowship, our being partners in the gospel. And the reason we have a fellowship the reason we have communion with one another is because we have fellowship and communion with Christ. And the only way we have fellowship and communion with Christ is by grace. And so our fellowship and communion with one another really is by grace. Guess what? I don't deserve your fellowship. I don't deserve Christ's fellowship. But it is something that is graciously bestowed upon me. And I want us to see that the fellowship that we enjoy, the fun we had last night, was not just some idea of having some preacher magician come and, and do all these. Those, tr- those are really amazing. <laughs> I call them tricks. <laughs> I still can't figure out how Scott guessed that word Renee picked out of that magazine. Uh, if you figure that out, would you please tell me because it might keep me awake at night. I am a little concerned about Scott. By the way, Scott's great. He's our Hot Springs pastor. Uh, no, I think I'm scared about him. He reads minds. I thought only Jesus could do that. But anyway. But what we did last night is a function of grace. None of us deserve to have fun with one another last night. <laughs> Think about it like that. <laughs> Even though you, hey, you paid for it, so I guess you, you paid to have fun, right? Now, we really didn't. I mean, what I want us to see is that even our fellowship, our ability to, to enjoy one another's company is solely because of the grace we've been shown in Christ Jesus. And because of that, we are in union with him and communion with one another. We are partakers of grace, as the Apostle Paul has said. You are all partakers with me of grace. I'm united to Christ, and therefore I'm part of his body, and I'm united to every other part of that 
body and if a part of that body hurts I hurt if a part of that body rejoices I rejoice if a part of that that body has a need I have a need and I seek to meet that need if a part of that body goes astray I go after that part grace points us to care for one another it's a fellowship to care for one another is flows out of our union with Christ we're together in caring for one another we're together in furthering the cause of Christ we're all partakers together of grace we join hands we stand in solidarity as partakers of grace as we care for one another I have just been so encouraged that when a member of our church is sick or recovering from surgery and that usually is me having babies that is not me anymore or in financial need or grieving over a loved one dying we come together as partakers of grace and we minister grace to one another it is through meals through prayer through support through comfort we are partakers to get we stand in solidarity together in union with Christ and fellowship with one another we have deep affection for one another we join hands we stand together in solidarity as partakers of grace as we engage ministry together as we work for the gospel in our community and in our world we we come together as we do and as we will do at our missions conference and we encourage one another as partakers of grace to support the work of the gospel financially in prayer and to actually support the work of the gospel by getting our hands dirty with ministering the gospel right here where we live we will be coming together in June as we've done throughout the history of covenant and a little group of us will represent the entire church as we stand in solidarity and and go to war as Mexico and support get our hands dirty really to support the work of mission of Scott and Kathy Craig you see that's what it means to be a partaker of grace and Paul gives thanks for that that deep affection he has and, ama and it's amazing Paul expresses that they are partakers with him in grace they stand with him in solidarity while he is in prison for the sake of the gospel what in that culture should cause shame the Philippians go no we stand with you Paul as you are in prison verse 7 just to remind you that that Paul wrote this letter from prison he is most likely in Rome under house arrest remember back in in Acts 25 he he appealed uh, to Festus to appear before Caesar that time governor Festus granted that and, and in 
Acts chapter 25, verse 8, we see a wonderful passage that helps us really understand the charges against the Apostle Paul. As Paul there is arguing, arguing before Governor Festus in Caesarea, Paul says, neither, uh, Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. I mean, Paul was on trial for treason against Rome. He was on trial for heresy against Judaism. He was on trial for blasphemy against the temple. Those are the trumped-up charges against the Apostle Paul. That's why he was in prison. And Paul simply taught. I mean, his gospel ministry, as well as our gospel ministry, could be distilled down to this. Paul taught. Paul represented the gospel in this way, that it's just simply the fulfillment of all that God said in the Old Testament. This Jesus is Messiah. And Paul was put in prison for that, awaiting to appear before Emperor Nero Caesar. And while Paul was in prison, guess what he was doing? He was not only defending the gospel, but he was furthering the cause of the gospel. He was evangelizing the guards and all who came to see him. And if you doubt that, just simply turn to the book of Philemon. Philemon, a believer in the Colossian church, one of his slaves, Onesimus, ran away, wound up in Rome. Under Paul's ministry, was converted. And Paul said, Onesimus, you've got to go back and make it right with your master. Paul was, was a partaker of grace. Paul was a participant in the gospel, even when he was in prison. And the Philippians were part of that through their support. They stood by him in solidarity as partakers of the grace. And the depths of Paul's affection for the, for the Philippians and theirs for him is just highlighted with these wonderful words that Paul speaks of Along with me, you are a partaker of grace. You're with me, and I know it. Verse 8 demonstrates the depth of their relationship because Paul actually takes a vow in verse 8. And in effect, he takes this oath calling God as his witness in expressing his affection for the saints in Christ at Philippi who are partners in the gospel ministry and partakers along with him of grace. You see, Paul gave thanks for God's persevering work in the past in the Philippians' lives and presently even as he is in prison himself. But a gospel-advancing life is characterized first and foremost by confidence in God finishing what he starts. Verse 6 is the ultimate reason, this foundational uh, truth that Paul gave that is the reason for his thanksgiving for the Philippians. And we should understand this as, as Paul giving thanks really for who God is, what he starts, he finishes. In other words, with God, there, are no, there, there will never be an unfinished uh, project. Verse 6, 
And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So, what we need to ask is, what is this good work? And I think that's a good question. And I would just simply suggest to you and summarize that this, this good work is God's faithfulness to save sinners. To make sinners into slaves of Christ and saints of God. We find in, in, in this verse a beginning. You see the beginning there? He who began. And we find in this verse an end. Do you see the end? At the day of Jesus Christ. So, so immediately we see that, that this good work that Paul is talking about, that God does, is a process that has a beginning and it has a termination. It has an end. And, and so let's look at the beginning, the beginning, he who began. And by the way, the beginning is not A.D. 49. The beginning is not the year that Paul made it to Philippi and organized the Philippian church. The beginning that Paul is referring to here is prior to A.D. 49. In fact, the beginning is eternity past. And so I would like for you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. This, I believe, is what the Apostle Paul is talking about with regards to the beginning of this good work. Verse 4, Ephesians 1. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, eternity past, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us. He predestined us before the foundations of the world was laid for adoption himself as sons through Jesus Christ. And the only condition is this, according to the purpose of his will. And this is the point. This is the doctrine of unconditional election. God is sovereign over the beginning of this good work, this, this process of salvation. And he's sovereign over the end, the ultimate end as well. And it's all conditioned not upon anything in man, but solely upon the will of God. Now let's look at the end of the process. What is the end of the process? It's anticipated by Paul. Paul has an eschatological and end times perspective here. And, and he links this good work to the end times, to this phrase, the day of Jesus Christ, a reference to the second coming. You know, there are a number of significant events that will happen when Christ comes again but certainly one is the glorification of the saints the end of the process the end the completed the completion of that good work that Paul is talking about here in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 God is sovereign over the beginning unconditional election and the end glorification Glorification is simply this, becoming the perfect image bearers of Christ, being made the perfect image bearers of Christ in the likeness of Christ. And we see this in Romans 8.30 called the golden chain of salvation. So flip to Romans 8, great passage, verse 30. 
we see here the beginning and the end and everything in between. And this is just a summary of, of what we call the order of salvation. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, now, now look at the middle of verse 30 of Romans 8. Called and justified. These are part of what God does in saving sinner. And this really is a shorthand, if you will, for, the, for all of the means that God employs to bring his electing purposes to their appointed end. So let me just give you the order of salvation. I'm just going to mention these. We'll, we'll, over time, we'll look at these further as we go through Philippians. But, but I just want us to have a 60,000-foot view of, of this, this work of God, God being sovereign at the beginning, God being sovereign over the end, God being sovereign over the means to accomplish his end in light of the beginning. Here we go. God is sovereign over election, the outward call of the gospel, the preaching of the gospel, evangelization, the inward call, the inward work of the Holy Spirit, regeneration, conversion, where because we have a new nature, now we're enabled to repent of our sin, to trust in Christ, that's conversion, the acts of justification and adoption, and then the process, the work of God, and our sanctification all coming to completion in glorification. That is the order of salvation. Now you could pass most presbytery exams. And I'm being brief here because my goal is for us to understand that God is sovereign. When God starts something, he finishes it. God started salvation in eternity past. He'll finish salvation in heaven, glorification, and you can count on it. It will not be unfinished. This, I believe, is the work to which Paul points us to in verse 6. And Paul prays in confidence, giving thanks for the Philippians. Because of the certainty, he understands that what God began in those dear people when he elected them in eternity past will be completed. And that he is sovereignly working in their lives in the past and in the present that they might be partakers of grace and partners in the gospel. Ultimately, Paul was giving thanks for God's work in and through the Philippians. Well, the first <clears throat> principle of a gospel advancing life is confidence in God's persevering work as we remember the past and as we live together in fellowship uh, today. And we'll, we'll look at, I can't wait till we get to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13, verses 12 and 13, because there we'll really take a deep dive into the doctrine of sanctification and how sanctification and justification so beautifully go together, the double cure, 
as that beautiful hymn, Rock of Ages, mentions. But for today, I want us just to reflect upon the fact that that God will complete what he has begun. And that's reason to give thanks. And as we look to the next time we, we look at this passage in a couple of weeks after the missions conference, God finishing what he begins is really why we can petition God for spiritual growth for ourselves and for other Christians because we're confident that he is going to complete what he has done. Well, we end where we began with that unfinished uh, portrait of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. It was never completed, interrupted by death. And there it is displayed, unfinished. Sad. When we die, our portrait will be unfinished. None of us will perfectly be sanctified in this life. And so, our portrait will be unfinished. But here's the catch, or I should say, the glorious truth. The portrait will be unfinished in this life, but not interrupted by our death. The portrait will be completed, will be finished because we die in the Lord. And in heaven, God is going to make his portrait of you and me complete a masterpiece. Why? Because what he starts he completes. You see, a gospel advancing life is first and foremost a life that is lived confident in God's persevering work. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I would ask that day by day that we might be thankful, thankful for your persevering work in our lives, that we would be able to judge and view life today in light of eternity, that we would be able to view all that we are dealing with today the good and the bad, all part of your plan to bring what you began before the foundation of the world was laid in eternity past to its completion in heaven. And that truly we might be thankful for your persevering work. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.